and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the hopeful. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, the sunburned. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are in the Storm of Swords Daenerys 3. And uh, this is the Jakaris chapter. And I feel like someone Jakaris my shoulders and my back because I went to the beach and as always underestimated UV rays. And uh, I'm kind of kind of dealing with that now. But uh, Matt, how are you? You doing good? Hey, man. I'm good, man. I'm hopeful. You want to know why? Because yeah. I think I'm, uh, I don't know, man. I just got a feeling. Oh, my God. I, I don't a have feeling. a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I got a feeling that uh, we might see another little teaser of House of the Dragon at the Super Bowl. Okay, okay. Now that. And that might lead into that. something else like Winds of Winter. Who knows? No. <laughs> Listen. Guys. What if what if we get a Super Bowl commercial and it's not House of the Dragon, but it's just George sitting there and he's like, it's done. <laughs> I would have an <laughs> from being so happy, but I got I got bad news. I may have become someone who thinks that maybe wins won't ever come out. <laughs> ever. Uh... Did you see his latest blog post? I did about uh, talking about, you know, hate and all this stuff online. I think Bro. he was in a First I think off, it, it'll 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 blow over. My heart goes out to him um, because, yeah. you know, uh, about two updates ago, one of his really close friends passed away. But he had this thing, and, you know, he goes into a lot of stuff about the world that he maybe doesn't like the way it goes. And, you know, that whatever kind of giving his opinion on certain things. But he's just saying that 2023, he didn't do his usual New Year's like, you know, review of the year and what's to come because he is not thrilled with the way his life is and with the world and the state that it's in. And I think he's seeing it through a lens where there's not a lot of hope. And he's also looking back on his life saying, <laughs> he's basically saying, I have this big platform. Everyone keeps telling me about, but what power do I really have? Have I ever like, have I ever done anything? And he's meaning that like, has his work ever changed someone's life for the better, which I know he's so far from us, like the fans that, he doesn't, you know, it, it's easy to take those things for granted. I think whenever you're somebody like George R. R. Martin with th that stature, but uh, that that's a tough, that's a tough introspective moment. When you look back at your life's work and you say, what was it all for? Like, did this matter at all? And it seems like his tone was that maybe it didn't matter. And he's talking about the afterlife. And uh, I don't know. It, it was, it was honestly really sad to read. Uh, I don't know George R. R. Martin personally, but I think everyone can kind of have empathy for mortality, right? Like yeah. that's just a tough thing to deal with. And, and I've had some, like my grandparents all have passed away and I remember them going kind of through the same things. And uh, as my in-laws are getting older, I'm seeing them kind of grapple with, you know, what was life? What did I do with it? What should I have done? And, you know, is there any reason to try anything else as we go? And I know this is all very morbid and sad, but this is the tone of his of his blog post. Yeah. And uh, he said it was also a very frustrating year. He said 2023 was maybe the worst year of his life professionally. He thinks 2024 is going to be worse. And I was like, OK, so yeah. we're 100 percent not getting a book in 2024, which means that my winds of winter 2024 <clears throat> prediction, I think, is going to be uh, incorrect. Uh, see, that's where I disagree, my friend, because we have house. <laughs> House of, the, House of the Dragon season two is going to be going to be pure fire. Okay, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be pure fire. I've already started you know making TikToks and stuff about it, and more and more people are like, oh yeah, House of the Dragons come back on. It's going to be good. 
Um, Duncan Egg is gonna gonna get rolling. I don't know. I feel kind of different. He was also talking a little bit about like the election, and I think he's he very much does not like Donald Trump. Uh, you know, and so he was talking a lot about that. He's like, I can't go through another four years of that. You know, so yeah, I think he also just in general is not happy with any leaders in the world. Like you kind of got a lot that. of a lot of people are depressed during presidential election years because this might be the worst one we've certainly had in our lifetime, but maybe uh, ever. You know, I mean this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't I'm know not that there's. Really... I don't know that. I don't know that there's ever been an election with two candidates this awful. I mean, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I think I'm going to delete my Twitter um, soon. Actually, I don't think I can make it through another election cycle yeah, uh, on social media. And you know, this is the thing. And and for George, I know you're listening. I know you're a big fan. You know, sometimes you have to take a step back and look locally and, you know, and look at your community around you. And and I don't just mean like online. I mean, literally your local community and see, you know, what's happening there. How can you reach out to people that you're interacting with on a daily basis? And that's the kind of mindset I'm trying to be in. I wish George would take that (laughs) mindset because, you know, hey, you know what? I, I here we go. Now I know who I'm voting for. George Martin for president. Okay, because I don't want to vote for either of them, the other candidates. I might just write them in. (laughs) I feel like uh, he would not be the the best president, but I I certainly would listen to him, his speeches. I think they would be fun. They would all revolve around like castles and trains down. A lot of infrastructure would be would be fixed. Be done. Let's go. (laughs) Infrastructure is very important, folks. It's not sexy, but it's important. but I know I agree with you, you know, and then, man, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, sometimes it's like because we're always reading his blog posts and everything. And, you know, we hang on to every word this guy says. It's one of these things, Jimmy, where every day, you know, you just see more and more uh, celebrities go. Right. I mean, we just lost yeah. Carl Weathers, man. Yeah. Rest in peace. Not expecting that one. Yeah. And also, um, I think it's Christopher Priest who wrote The Prestige. Which the movie oh, okay. is based off of? Um, well, famous author. I, I I'm pretty sure it's Christopher Priest. If, and if I'm well, mis- it's, it's in it's in threes. So we got one more, and I'm hoping it, I hoping and praying it's not George. I hope it's Tony Atlas. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it could be. There we go. I mean, or Vince McMahon. Just in, in... <laughs> wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, here's the thing. We 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 got to carry the torch. We we carried we've carried the torch through far darker times than this, Matt. I mean, we mm-hmm. we were around whenever everyone said that this was no longer relevant in culture at all, and no one would ever watch House of Dragon. And and you're right. The good thing for me and you is is that yes, we love the books so very much, but we also happen to really enjoy the television uh, series as well, even with its faults. And House of the Dragon, without a doubt, is a beacon of hope in all of this because i think season two is going to be excellent they they're working on the reshoots right now which by the way folks reshoots are extremely normal every single show does them in fact season eight was the only season of game of thrones not to have reshoots from what i understand and that was the worst season so so we we encourage the reshoots for them to get it right uh i've heard it's maybe going to be august now i don't know if you saw this but they're saying yeah in august yeah yeah i mean that's okay, man. I I have no doubts that House of the Dragon is gonna just come out and be pure fire. Yeah, then we have Duncan Egg, it's, which then we have then we have then we have Duncan Egg. You know, I mean, George has got a lot to look forward to. I mean, every project he's touched has 
I mean, pretty much been super successful. I mean, George, are you, I mean, is he working on Elden Ring too? Because Elden Ring was freaking amazing. Yeah, so. so, so very good. I, you know, when you actually look at George R. R. Martin's career, even outside of A Song of Ice and Fire, and what he was able to accomplish in writing is, is outstanding. Uh, he worked on a Beauty and the Beast play, which was very well renowned. I don't know if it won any awards, but it, I know it was very close. And then you have him working on the Twilight Zone in some of its best years. Uh, and he wrote a lot of the episodes that people still talk about to this day. He's won Hugo's for short fiction. He's written horror. He's written sci-fi. He's written fantasy. And he's just, I mean, he has all the accolades. I mean, well, hold on. Here we go, Jimmy. He literally, it is 3.06 p.m. Pacific. Okay. Okay. He literally just posted no. at 3.04 p.m. As we're talking. No. As we're talking, he posted. Now, he's talking about a bunch of other stuff that has nothing really to do with the Song of Ice and Fire. But his mood has changed from depressed to pleased. <laughs> he, he's already in a better mood. Okay? We summoned it. All right? Yeah, I love how he still has the like <laughs> the Xanga or the AOL instant messenger <clears throat> mood thing at the bottom. I, it's, it's one of my thing. favorite things. There is not yeah. a damn thing in his blog post that's interesting, by the way. We got Knight of Cooters. How he <laughs> said how Howard's gone, which is his friend, he said, but his genius lives on. So he's look, he's already begun the mourning process of his friend. Yeah, he's back. See. He's back on. We're track. back, baby. We're <laughs> back. Here we go. We did the full cycle uh, of grief there, did we not? Uh, we then it was acceptance, and now we're back. I think we're in <laughs> denial, actually. No, 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 no. Hey, well, hey, with uh, with that, we did actually get a little bit of um news. There was actually a little bit of news dropped today, not by George, uh, just kind of on the internet. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Jimmy. The Blood Moon stuff? The Blood Moon, yeah. So let me Very pull this cool. up. It's just a few images, and I believe it was dropped by the one of the makeup artists or uh, costume or somebody, somebody involved in, like, the art direction, uh, you know, uh, of the show. And this is, remember, this was supposed to be the first Game of Thrones successor show, which was going to take place during, like, the Long Night yeah, right. this is the building of the wall, how the White Walkers came to be, and then like the realm politics at the time of Westeros being shaped. I saw some people say 10,000 years, but I also saw some information that said it was about 5,000 years. I don't think it really matters. It's thousands yeah. of years, uh, but and way more magical. Children of the Forest were around. I think this would have been really cool. Yeah. And, you know, now that I'm seeing it, I'm like, wow, because when we heard about it, I was like, that that's just not where I would have went. Yeah. You know? And that's probably that's why just... I didn't take off. Right. But now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, I don't know, man. This looks pretty sick. Supposedly, <laughs> the scripts were horrible. That That's what I yeah, have I heard. I also heard that there was concerns about the budget uh, at the time. Yeah. But I heard the scripts were terrible. Remember, George really didn't work on this show. Ryan Condell and Miguel, none of them were involved in this. This is yeah. very much like HBO being like, we're going to do this. Naomi Watts being a lead. And as we see her on the screen, for those who actually can see this, like she looks Targaryen. This yeah thing. like she looks but it, and who knows it could be i mean because the you're so long ago maybe she's a uh, somebody and we don't really know where this was taking place we think there's actually nothing saying like hey this is taking place in westeros or not yeah and maybe and maybe i shouldn't say target she looks very royal she looks regal sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the real big I would say takeaway outside of like her costuming is uh, there's like this sort of um, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. The on the wall, the it's not really a hieroglyph on the wall, but it's certainly sort of like a carving into the carving. Yeah, it's like the a wall. flaming hieroglyph, yeah. I mean, yeah, cool. and you can just see kind of like here's obviously like a you know, it looks like a little bit like a lion there, small right? lions attacking a cart being pulled mm. by, right? Pulled. And then here's somebody, here's an archer shooting, and that's so that's really all we can kind of see. So, I mean, this might be all the photos we ever even get. Yeah, of, I think so. Of 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 that show, but it's certainly uh, interesting just to kind of see, like, man, what you know could that show have potentially been? Mm -hmm. And who knows, we may still get it because George has said before, hey, you know, just because something didn't come out doesn't mean we won't see it again. Like, if it gets shelved, put on the you know, it gets put on the bookshelf, right? Doesn't mean that it's necessarily gone. Yeah, I um, think you would see a totally different pilot, but I think that that topic of the long night forming of the wall children for uh, higher magic i mean let's uh, higher fantasy right i think it's still on the table but that would probably be one of those shows that's better animated to be honest yeah i agree yeah okay um and uh yeah you know what we might actually i might, I might throw a curveball at you here jimmy Okay. Uh, we had a raven actually, which we haven't had like a, a good raven in a while here. And uh, maybe we'll start with this. The chapter is kind of like a shorter chapter, so we'll. It's a we'll dope chapter. Let's let's get it that. is it is a it is it is yeah. So I don't yeah, but uh, I've I've been meaning to uh, get this raven done because we got it a little bit ago. So I want to pull this up here. So this actually goes back to um, it was a comment left on our youtube uh and so remember we were doing like that episode about john and we were talking about relore and all that stuff mm -hmm. so yeah he's saying i'm not anywhere uh from adam boris saying i'm not anywhere close to you two in the seer in the series but two thoughts popped into my head as you were talking about melisandre is it discussed as to how the visions in the flame work could relore just be moving her on the board to be in a position to help John knowing that he's uh, he is marshalling strength in the far north. This assumes relore has some levels of foresight as a God. Sure. She saw Stannis, but it was just to get her moving Two is George R. R. Martin um, uh, or could he be ready to flip this? Like the religion following relore has been unknowingly, doing the evil God's work, you know, or some other twist, like Jimmy mentioned, the White Walkers being the good guys, or maybe Azor Ahai is uh, like Kellis in Second Apocalypse and just isn't the savior everyone thinks he is. Mm. Yeah. This, uh, Adam, thank you so much for this, by the way. Uh, I, I like both of these questions because it, it makes us question like R'hllor and God's places in Westeros. I think I love the theory that it's really just like one God and each religion kind of gets a little bit of it. Correct. So R'hllor a hundred percent could be moving Melisandre in a way and manipulating her to put her close to the John without showing her everything. Like that's definitely on the table, right? Cause gods are supposed to be like these unfathomable beings that we can't understand. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and that is really the interesting thing with with these gods, because I'm actually working on a, a new TikTok right now talking about, like, who is going to be the villain of A Song of Ice and Fire? Mm -hmm. Because we've we brought this up before, like the idea of, well, 
you know, it may be Euron, and Euron has this connection to the God's Eye. It might be Bran, might be Bloodraven because of the Great Other. And Melisandre does look into the flames and sort of views that person as an enemy. And um, as we're getting ready to talk to the, about this Daenerys, uh, this Daenerys chapters, which we have for today, like it's one of those things where Melisandre is over in Westeros in the cold, up at the wall, talking about R'hllor. And I think we sort of view it more so with like, well, we we view like Melisandre versus the White Walkers and John versus them. But sometimes I think it's important to try and view some of these Daenerys chapters as like R'hllor and the possible impact of R'hllor, like even outside of Melisandre, but just like in general, because we always look at Bran and connection to the Great Other, possibly with the Three-Eyed Crow, and we don't view that with uh, Daenerys, good or bad, right? I mean, you, I mean, Daenerys gets her dragons here and she's gonna, you know, get her army and she's gonna start, uh, begin beginning her conquest. And yeah. I mean, if you're if you're somebody in Essos, uh, you might be like, they were as where R'hllor is more popular, do they view Daenerys as like <laughs> a avatar well yeah. and every culture has their own mythological figures and prophecies and and this and that and i think i think george r, r. martin's definitely playing with that in the series throughout it uh one of the things that that you know we're talking about relore we're talking about danny and, and we've kind of said that it almost feels like relore can't see danny or melisandre is not even factoring danny into all this which is really crazy because she is getting some messaging from something clearly like there's clearly real magic in the world the only other place that we've seen this that I feel like is a hundred percent like, okay, something's legitimately going on here. That's magical and possibly from a God is the house of black and white. Mm -hmm. So how does the house of black and white tie in to Berlore? Is it the same thing? I'm not sure. I mean, the house of black and white, I've begun kind of wondering, you know, like, I mean, I know we think Berlore red, but, fire could also be white i suppose yes i mean what if it what if it yeah i mean what if the house of black and white you know light and darkness is this sort of in between where they view mm. like maybe that's what it is they look at both gods yeah uh as like equals and their role is death yeah know? and who's like to say in the middle it in the middle is they is like we just serve we serve both gods because at the end of the day both gods are involved in death yeah you know it's another interesting thing i just thought about is like talking about like death right in the house of black and white is like they have a pretty big stake in defeating the white walkers because the white walkers are kind of an abomination if you think about like if they're raising the dead it kind of goes against the stranger and the house of black and white and everything and i feel like they have like the house of black and white has to become extremely active in this battle against the white walkers because Without human race, there's no more death. Therefore, this god becomes, I mean, his utility is useless, right? Mm -hmm. That's a fair, man, I love the, the religions and I love how ambiguous a lot of them are. I like the second part of this Raven when Adam says, what if George would have flipped this and R'hllor, whatever, and the god entity is actually working towards like a what we would be considered an evil uh, Endpoint, and the White Walkers are actually part of the good guy side. I, I I think I understand what he's getting at, and it's 100 something I could see George doing because he doesn't really have a super favorable view on religion for the most part, from what I know as a person. And 
<laughs> George R. R. Martin loves flipping things on its head, right? That's why me and uh, you have yes. been talking about the White Walkers <laughs> a lot lately. And, you know, who are they really? It's not going to be as simple as they're just big bads coming out of the ground. Uh, but if Relor is really an entity or a deity that is here to fight back against these things, why? Why is right. that? Um, is it simply because he doesn't want the others to take away all of his loyal servants? Possibly. Maybe it's the same thing where like his utility as a deity uh, is useless if if they were uh, to you know exterminate the human race. I don't I'm not sure, but I do like the idea of maybe people being used by gods uh, for ends that are exactly. You know, good. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about the gods in A Song of Ice and Fire is it's a kind of loose. I mean, it's like compared to other fantasy series where they're much more prevalent and, and you much you know much more about it. Even the seven, all of the gods in A Song of Ice and Fire are told to us like pretty loosely. It's kind of mm -hmm. like we know they're there. They're never really direct. Even yeah. the even the one group that could not be more into like the faith. I mean, you know, is the faith. Um, and even their whole deal feels like political. It feels like they're just using yeah, faith to, as to, to meet their agenda. The realms of men, like it, it, it's all on the, on the human plane of existence, but we have this whole other, you know, I don't want to call it like the astral plane or something. I've been right. playing, I've been playing a bunch of RPGs lately, but uh, <laughs> it's like, so think about this. We have our lore, House of Black and White. Matt, we also have the Weirwood Network. We have Blood Raven. Mm -hmm. Is that some sort of in between of God's will and like humans, or is that a God itself? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you dive back into um, like the world of ice and fire and you look at a lot of, especially like you look at some of the other regions, like the Roin. And some of their gods, they yeah. like a giant turtle, right? And 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 things like that. So it's it is it is the it is the question of really the next two books is going to be mm -hmm. the aspect of gods, but I still don't know that it's ever going to be told. Like if you even if you, like let's let's just take Game of Thrones for example. Melisandre's there; she's preaching real lore. John comes back to mm -hmm. life. They fight the White Walkers, and she literally goes out to a field and falls over and dies. And that's it. And R'hllor is over. We're done. Like that's yeah, <laughs> that's okay. We've had it. We've had we've had enough of it. That's not going to be the case in a song of ice and fire. Yeah, it, uh, some we are we are going to get some answer. I don't know that it's going to be. It's not going to ultra be ultra direct, but it will yeah. be. It will be much. It will be told to us much more. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think that. It would be silly of us to expect, you know, if, if the books are written that that there would be this big thing. Well, this is how this works. That's not how George works, but there will be more of this coming forward. And then we have to question, you know, I think the human aspect of God worship, right? How much yeah. of uh, how much of this is misinterpreted by Melisandre? A lot, right? Exactly. I think I definitely think a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's another it. that is that is a great question is when we view Melisandre, when we think about her with John, should we view her as well? Now she's figured it out. Like it wasn't Stannis, but Stannis certainly led her to John. She might be wrong again. She could be wrong again. It could and, be Dan. And George said she's the most misunderstood character he's ever written. 
what is what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like we're we're missing something big, clearly. Yeah. Uh, well, but we'll get more we'll get more answers. Uh, one thing that could happen, and some people really don't like this, is a Deus Ex Machina. Like there could definitely be some god interventions in some final battle, and I feel like people would be really upset by that. But there's clearly something going on underneath the surface at a deity level. Yeah. Um, and we'll, 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 let's, we'll dive into the chapter here and we'll, uh, we'll pull some of that up because we're going to be talking a little about dreams and quaif, uh, today. Yeah. And this kind of, so that, that, that Raven kind of worked in a little bit too. So I think I wanted to bring it up at the beginning. Um, Daenerys, so today's, uh, chapter Daenerys three of a storm of swords. Daenerys tells the slavers that she wants all 8,000 unsullied plus all the slave boys in training, whether they've been cut yet or not in order to pay the slave masters. Daenerys offers all three of her ships as well as Drogon for the price of a dragon is incalculable. Danny frees Melisandre, uh, Missandei, excuse me, and takes her into her service, revealing that she can speak high Valyrian. We learn that Valar Mogulis means all men must die. That night, Quaith appears to Danny, seeming, uh, seemingly in a dream, telling her again to, to go north, you must go south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. And to touch the light, you must path. You must pass beneath the shadow. When the time for the deal to be brokered arrives, Danny swings the slaver's whip in Krizna's face and releases Drogon on him, shouting, Drogon, Dracarys. This is a sign for her, the followers, to attack the slavers with the help of the Unsullied who obey her as she is now their owner. She has the slavers killed when the other slaves join her and soon Astapor is conquered. And, um, you know, again, this is sort of a short chapter and this is one of, this is like a top five scene in all of game of Thrones. I think it's, you know, to it's me, insane. it's probably to me, I it's, it's in my top three scenes of all of game of Thrones. I forgot how excellent that scene was until I watched it with my, it's wife. the mic drop. I mean, it she literally, it is, it literally drops the mic. I think it was the first moment after like and ned being beheaded and and there's some other stuff but that was like the biggest moment for me when i was watching my wife and her first time through after season eight had already ended and all this stuff is like two years ago and she just looks at me and was like oh my god i love her and i'm like well, oh yeah you see the oh. ending <laughs> you know it's like no, because you've got you've got the fire going off in the background like oh it's incredible it's, bro. and it's got and it's got the the perfect framing shot too where yes it's it's below her looking up and anytime you see that in cinema anytime you see a shot that's like looking up it's usually to make that person seem like big. more powerful and big and everything oh it's the first to me, it's like the first mega moment of a Game of Thrones. Yeah, like, I mean, this is why being beheaded. It was huge. But this is a character development moment like this is certainly, you know, Daenerys is standing on business, as they say in the streets. Um, I just had to get standing on business yeah. somehow in this episode. I've been saying it all week uh, with with Daenerys in this chapter. It's so much of what I love about A Song of Ice and Fire. And it's George playing with the idea that a teenage girl can outmaneuver these arrogant, you know, upper class slavers. And it, it's all about overcoming. And yes, this could kind of be seen in a way as like uh, the white savior trope, which a lot of people dislike. But the thing I really yeah. like about the scene is that she actually says, like, you don't have to come with me. Like, 
It doesn't have to ha- like doesn't have to happen. Right. She doesn't expect anything in return. I think she's hoping. But for them to right. then follow her and then the, everything else that comes after this, it's just such yeah, a she, such a dope moment. Yeah, the best the best part about it is that she gives them their freedom. And just like you said, she gives them the freedom to choose whether or not they want to come with her. It'd be one thing if she just bought them all and said, all right, now you're in my army. Yes. And we're going to go conquer. And as part of my army, you'll be able to do this to this and this. No, she gives them the freedom. They could all say no right then and there. Yes. And she is not coming from a place of power. She she has power because of the dragons. But let's remember, the dragons are fairly small at this point. And remember, Danny's been hi- in hiding for years and years and years and years. Right. She is not coming from a palace. She's not coming with this uh, extravagant army and royal guard. That's just simply not what she has at this moment. So for her to have been through what she's going through and to see other people being treated unjustly, if she had grown up in Westeros and lived in the Red Keep and then came over here to Astapor, I do not believe she would have done this. Yeah. But it's because of her struggle that there for she uh, has some sort of like, you know, she kind of identifies with them in some ways for their struggles and also just sees it as plain wrong, which is why I think it's really hard to make a case that Danny would go mad in the books in the way that we saw in the show. I, I don't think it's impossible. I'm going to leave the door open for it. But this to me, in my opinion, is a moral decision. This isn't Danny wanting to burn people to burn them. This isn't her saying this guy disagrees with me, so I must kill him. This is her seeing something that she feels is unjust and her correcting it. Now, does her moral compass change as the series goes on? Possibly. We'll have to keep an eye on it as we go through the series. But for me, this is a major moment for Danny's development. It's everything I love about A Song of Ice and Fire and the way George plays with these things. But it, it's truly her being a, being in the right, in my right. opinion. And, you know, the one of the interesting things I like about this chapter is I think so often we look at certain characters and we say, okay, um, Arya, right? Mm-hmm. Arya's moments always come and she's challenging herself internally as who am I, right? Yeah. I'm R. I first I was Ari, and then I was Arya, and then you know, the cat of the all of those things. She's going through all of those different things. Yes. Um, Jon Snow always thinks about what Maester Raymond says: kill the boy. It's mm-hmm. it's kill the boy. That's what you. That's what you. That's what you have to do. Danny is always you know be awake the dragon like become be a dragon. Yeah. Here though, the kind of interesting thing is this moment takes place after she has the dream and remember here's what quaith tells her to go north you must go south to go east to touch the light you must pass beneath the shadow what if that is danny going mad right because in order like you could view that as to touch the light to achieve your goal to everything is you have to do something dark in order to get there to the light Yeah, nothing's for free in A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, that's for damn sure. And I would say that's true in any good story. Nothing should ever come for free. Uh, And maybe, maybe possibly using fire and blood will lead to the downfall of Danny at some point. Maybe different in a different way than the show. Yeah. Yeah. And just like and just like you said, the, the other thing about this moment is this is really the first moment where Danny becomes really like Daenerys. Yes. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of that's kind of the, the, the I think a good way to put it is. Now her dragons are like killing people, burning, I mean, burning people. So 
in one fell swoop, she not only now has an army, she also has dragons that are capable of some yes. serious damage. Yeah, and it also brings up this really interesting idea, and, we, and we've talked about this in House of the Dragon, and the fact that dragons have agency. And no one, nobody understands the link between a dragon rider and the dragon. That is just something people do not understand. Uh, the maester said you'd be a fool to know it. And the interesting thing about this is right now we're cheering on the dragons. And they decided that they wanted to listen to Danny and do this. But we know for a fact that Drogon ends up killing a small child in Dance of Dragons. Mm-hmm. And that is a moment where Danny almost feels like there's there's no control over this thing. She starts to see the damage that can be done. So I always think about the, the flip side of all this stuff, like, you know, here cheering on Drogon, burning someone alive. Like, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's awesome. Okay. It's when, when douchebags get torched, it's fun. But right. whenever a small child is murdered, that is not so much because a child, you know, happened. It was kind of like food envy. If I remember correctly, I might, I might be misremembering. Do but. you think, do you think the connection between the dragons and Danny or Targaryens in general is the same connection perhaps as the wolves are to the Starks? Because wow, great question. We always hear, you know, like Catelyn said, keep your wolf close. Like bad things happen when you don't keep your wolves close. Well, Danny locks her dragons up. And things go very, very and bad. things go. And also she lets them because they're just so big. I mean, she, you know, there's nothing she can do about it, but they begin to roam on their own for a bit. I mean, the difference is that when Danny's dragons go roaming on their own, right. Mm. And Drogon goes and kills a boy and all of these things. She's not dreaming about those dragons. She doesn't dream herself as a dragon flying. Whereas John and Bran, when they dream at night, they're actually warging into their into yeah. their direwolves. So they are like connected, even even at night in their dreams. Yeah, you know, in some way, the dragons almost feel like they're above being warged into. I I know I, I remember in season eight, a lot of people thought Bram was going to warg into the dragon at the long night. I remember that when he like, when he's just sit, when he's just sitting there like. <laughs> yeah, doing nothing, <laughs> doing, doing nothing, Undertaker doing. impersonation. So stupid. Yeah. Uh, but I almost wonder if dragons cannot be warged into because they seem like you know, they're sentient, they're intelligent, they have agency. I'm not saying the other animals in the world don't, but like maybe dragons are equal or even above humans because we know that you can warg into a human, right? right. I think you're going to be able to warg into a dragon, by the way, by the end of yeah, this Yeah, you thing. know, they, the, we've never seen anything th- about it, though. Like even Ever, in the, like in any of the history. Even in, in, yeah, the world of ice and fire, fire and blood, um, Duncan egg, any of that stuff. Yeah. There's never, there's never been any tale of people. I don't even think there's something where, where I mean, maybe there is, was there somebody who dreamed he was a dragon? Yeah. And then he, uh, swallowed wildfire and thought he would become a dragon. Arian, maybe. Arian bright flame. I don't know if he dreamed he was a dragon and did, I think he just I believe, thought he would. I believe it came from dragon dreams because it's one of the examples of yeah. dragon dreams being a negative thing, but dragon dreams are totally different than the wolf dreams that we see the warging dreams. Right. Dragon dreams might just be green dreams. Yeah. But because they're Targaryens doing, they get the name dragon dreams. Maybe, or maybe not. Like it, it, it's it such could a be different. Thing. Here's a question. We always think of that. The, that the owner of the dragons and I put owner in, in air quotes here. We, we say that, they influence their dragons. Is there a chance that the dragons are actually influencing? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because 
the dragon rider because other people are able to ride dragons longer because yeah. they live because like because um Balerion, me Viser King Viserys has him. Yeah, dude. So I mean that's you know something you have to consider too is when Vis I mean Balerion dies of like old age, you know, because he's just super old at he's super old at that point. I would say that maybe the maybe the the hatchling, whoever has the hatchling has has more influence over the dragon than the than the than the dragon does. Like Vagar, for example. I mean Aemon has Vag Aemon has Vagar. He claim he claims Vagar. Mm -hmm. And but as we saw in House of the Dragon, Vagar does his own thing. God, the show is so much better with all them dragons hanging around, dude. I so know. cool. <laughs> I, I think I think without question, we we can say that it's a two way street. That the dragons influence the rider, the rider influences the dragon in some ways. But if, to to know it down to a precise science will, will never be possible. George is never going to give us that. But I think that I think that the person who has the hatchling has more has probably ha probably has more sway. I think I think way. I think even beyond the fact that they're just growing up under that person, I think I think probably some sort of like, you know, mystical connection as well. Yeah. And how does that bonding work? I mean, it, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll never know. But it is interesting to just think about Drogon in this scenario. Right. And the other dragons. But I'm thinking about Drogon specifically because of what he does later in A Dance of Dragons and Danny. Also, Danny is assuming a lot of these positions because people believe Danny has complete control for dragons. And the reality is that she doesn't. She doesn't. And whenever I think you see that doubt and then she locks them away, it almost looks like doubt in herself and in her root of her power. And then people start to scheme. They start to scheme around her and they try to, uh, you know, dethrone her essentially or undercut her. Yeah. So, I mean, so what do you, what do you think about this, Jimmy, um, this chapter? Because really, I mean, as we said, the big, the like the biggest takeaway is that scene we're all, um, super familiar for, and I'm going to get some more uh, specifics pulled up here too. But uh, the idea of Quaith's prophecy mm. taking place before Danny does this, like right before she does this, do you think, think it, it, it should we view it as something different than like be a dragon? Is this like the beginning of this prophecy? I mean, it's, it was told to her before, but now is it beginning to take take shape? <sighs> I think maybe having someone, you know, a very mysterious person randomly show up and give you some cryptic prophecy stuff most likely makes you feel pretty damn important and probably fuels your self-confidence, even if you're confused and not sure what to do next. I think it gives people purpose, and that's why prophecies can be very dangerous as well, because one, you could be let down, or it can give you purpose, and then you end up going and doing something terrible in the name of the prophecy. George plays with that a lot. Uh I don't know if it has a direct connection to it, but I do think it fuels Danny's confidence in the decisions that she's making. And to be fair, this is a pretty fantastic decision. Yeah. For, yeah, for Danny, 100%. I mean, this, because this is the thing that kicks her off. But yeah, that line is remember to go north, you must go south. Mm -hmm. To reach the west, you must go east. Yeah. So is it, you know, the path to Westeros is through Marine, perhaps to go forward, you must go back. She does have to go back to Do Dothraki to go forward to Westeros. And then to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow, um, which could be perhaps to fly, you know, like the idea of like touching the sun, a dragon. You must see the dragon's terror or like their shadow. 
could be the dragon's shadow as he's shadow of shy is 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 what i always think of and isn't that's what i was house, an old town mm-hmm. yeah we've talked we talked about that last time we we yeah, had some of that, you, yeah. and that would actually get you to go west i think if there is nothing if if west of westeros is simply just a shy which it is at some point right? yeah unless and, and it, as unless I say, you know flat, you know i mean at some point it is it is it is west to reach the I west mean, you know, east if she went east she would go to a shy and then maybe end up in old town so the shadow is shy and then you get to the light a lighthouse in old town that could that's work what I, that's that's what i think is yeah is that's what i i just like a shy so like i just want somebody to go and there george to, is right and and yeah and george has said we're we're going to go there and at, we see it a little bit right because Tyrion passes it on the boat yeah do you think um like so 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 with this chapter uh you know, not only do we have Danny, the obviously she's using the word Dracaris, right? Which is now like her favorite word, which is yeah, also yeah, Dragonfire. Yeah. Is any, uh, <laughs> any anything ominous about that? Yeah, uh, I think it's a part of this big character moment and this development is that it's her. It, it's almost like her wielding her sword, right? Mm. And by speaking this word, she can order essentially like a nuclear strike on somebody uh which is wild it's it's a lot of power uh yeah right yeah right here Dracaris. yeah unsullied danny gallop this is like the last line unsullied danny gallop before them her silver gold braid flying behind her her bell chiming with every stride just want to mm. uh, out there and so you know somebody else messaged me on instagram they're like you've been calling it now that i'm reading it they're like oh, oh it's everywhere that- dude it is i've been saying it man the her bell chiming with every stride slay the good masters slay the soldiers slay every man who wears a takar or holds a whip but harms no child under 12 and strike the chains off every slave you see she raised the harpy's fingers in the air and then she flung the scourge aside freedom she sang out dracaris 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 Hmm. they shouted back the sweetest words she'd ever heard all around them, the slavers ran and sobbed and begged and died. And the dusty air was filled with spears and fire. What a scene. What an absolute scene, dude. That's her favorite word now. So, like, this is, like, this is the kind of stuff I point to when people say in the, in like, when people got it, like, and we've talked about it. I don't have a problem with Danny going mad because I think there is enough there's there's more than enough justification for that event to happen doesn't mean i like it and i i still feel like that's always like the real sentiment on the internet is people don't like that danny went mad but i i would certainly are i certainly would argue with all of them for people saying like there's no like her going mad doesn't make sense no it 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 is it's there you could make it make sense um, because right. by the, I mean, by the way, and if people want to point to things and say like that, this was a completely moral decision, by the way, I agree. However, oh, 100%, people yes. can fall from grace. It happens all the time. And, and unfortunately power usually has something to do with that downfall usually. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could look at many people <laughs> that, that were great until they, uh, they got power or money or whatever else. So. I've always said that as long as we get there in a reasonable way, I'm fine with it. I don't want the rug to be pulled out from underneath me. I mean, the, 
pacing was a massive issue later in the television show. Uh, pacing in the books is very methodical and slow. It's slow, even slower than some people would like. <laughs> For me, I love it. I love how methodical George is with uh, his character development. So if it happens, we have passages that I think we can start the point to. Do you, here's a question for you. Do you think it's possible? And I think this is like looking at this chapter here, you know, cause we know that Danny is going to be like betrayed. Is it possible that she loses her unsullied army because they no longer respect her? Cause Danny is able to get this army really, I would say because of power, they yeah. view her as like, she has the dragons if yeah. she loses dragons, loses control of dragons, is it possible that her army is something that actually betrays her? Maybe. Or are they just going to be 100% loyal to the end? I think there's there's always a possibility of that happening. Like, it's certainly possible. I don't know. I don't know how we would ever get to that point, though. Like, it would well, take right, well, 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 right now, Danny's kind of just out there um, without, you know, and she's yeah. there's and there's also things in marine are not going great they're not great and i think uh, that the, gonna the, har gonna the harpies salty. are gonna the harpies are gonna be killing a lot of unsullied they're gonna be salty but i think the unsullied come with her to westeros because her story ends in westeros there's no doubt about it right mm -hmm. i think if it were to happen that is one of the biggest moments that could happen and i don't see her riding or flying into westeros without full power like when she lands on shore, it's going to be a massive moment in the book. 100%. And I think that only happens if she comes with the Unsullied and the Dothraki. Like she has done all these things. Like she got the Dothraki across the sea. She took the Unsullied from the slate. Like all of these things make her I almost think, a mythical figure. I think that's how I'd open a dream spring. <sighs> For the love of God, I hope I get it. <laughs> I would love to see it. Because, you know, we've talked about this with Winds. I mean, if Winds is supposed to end at, like, where Season 7 ended with, like, the wall coming down, you know, something to that magnitude, mm -hmm. then Danny would have already had have already, already sailed, but she just seems so far away from that. I think from what I had heard, and, and at this point, who knows, but I remember hearing that Tyrion and Danny were going to meet each other at the end of Winds. But I don't know where that came from. Like it's, I've right. I've read and saw so many things. I don't even know if this is legitimate. Yeah, but and to he's me, rewritten so many times. To me, she takes off at the end of Winds. Yeah, that's that's what I think. I think it's yeah. going to be like her her sailing. Um, mm -hmm. So I want I want to pull back up here too. So this is. Uh, where Danny is like sleeping and stuff like that. Right. So, um, and she's also talking a little bit like Robert and he's known to her King. And she's thinking about Rhaegar, uh, you know, just, just a little bit here. So she's talking to uh, like Jorah saying, I was alone for a long time, Jorah all alone, but my brother, I was such a small scared thing. Viserys should have protected me, but instead he hurt me and scared me. He shouldn't have done that. He was just my brother. He, he wasn't just my brother. He was my King. Why do the gods make kings and queens if not to protect the ones who can't protect themselves? Hmm. Some kings make themselves. Robert did. He was no true king, Danny said scornfully. He did no justice. Justice, that's what kings are for. Sir Jorah had no answer. He only smiled and touched her hair so lightly. Because yeah. you know, he's Jorah and we're And immediately, by the <laughs> way, we, yeah. we see the connection. Immediately, the man hmm. who is supposed to be protecting her is not doing his job. 
Yeah. That wow. night she dreamt she was Rhaegar riding to the Trident, but she was mounted on a she was mounted on a dragon on a horse. When she saw the usurper's rebel host across the river, they were all armored in ice, which this is another important oh, boy. Uh, thing here, too. She bathed them in dragon fire and they melted away like dew and turned the trident into a torrent. Some small part of her knew that she was dreaming, but another part exulted. This is how it was meant to be. The other was a nightmare, and I have only now awakened. And that's all italicized, too. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she woke suddenly in the darkness of her cabin, still flush with triumph. Balerion seems to wake with her, and she heard the faint creak of wood, water lapping against the hall, a foothold on the deck above her head, and something else. Someone was in that cabin with her. Eerie, Jiqui, uh, where are you? Her handmaidens did not respond. It was too black to see. But she could hear them breathing. Jorah, is that you? <clears throat> they sleep, a woman said. They all sleep. The voice was very close. Even dragons must sleep. She's standing over me. Who's there? Danny peered into the darkness. She thought she could see a shadow, the faintest outline of a shape. What do you want of me? Remember, to go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. And to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. Quaith, Danny sprung from the bed and threw open the door. You know, and then she's, uh, you know, awake and she had a dream. Um, if I look back, I am lost, Danny told herself in the next morning as she entered Astapor. Through the harbor gates, she dared not remind herself how small and insignificant, insignificant, um, insignificant, excuse me, her following truly was, or she would lose all courage. She, today, she rode her silver clad and horsehair pants and painted leather vest, a bronze medallion belt. Uh, about her waist and her two more and two more cross between her breasts. Uh, and then Eerie's uh, and Jiggly are going with her. So, so first we get a little bit of like perhaps a dragon dream, perhaps a green dream of a battle on the Trident, dream? a battle on the Trident where she's bathed, she's bathing a army of ice in fire. Now, I do think that the final battle, we've talked about this. It's either Winterfell. I, I just don't think we're going to. I. It's hard to say. It should be at King's Landing, but it might not be. I, I hope it's at King's the Landing. The Trident seems like it's it. The whole thing seems like it's going to lead back to that at some point. It feels like it has to be all of Westeros. <laughs> that, right. That, but maybe like. May, yeah. But yeah, I mean, King's Landing should get taken, but it feels like that final battle might be the Trident. It could be. It very well could be. And let's be honest, uh, this entire story started at the Trident with Rhaegar being slain. Mm -hmm. it'd be fitting for the Targaryen story to come to a close in some fashion at the Trident as well, because I think Danny perishes in the battle of the long night. See now, now this is, I will say one of the most intriguing lines in all of a song of ice and fire, because like John has had connections to house Dane and stuff like that, but he's already in the night's watch. Mm -hmm. Like he's already in a group. That's whole purpose is to protect people from the white walkers. Yes. Danny's like whole purpose is I just want to take Westeros back over. This is like the first time where, you know, I mean, there's no reason whatsoever for her to have a dream in which she's fighting against an army of ice. Yeah. And for her, maybe she's just thinking it's an easy victory because she has fire, but she, she is really right. not aware of, 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 of her purpose <laughs> that she's I, supposed to serve white walkers or any of that stuff. I mean, this whole thing right here is really one of the things that that brings her into all of the prophecies right. and everything. That's right. Because and up to this point, 
other than the fact that, you know, people would just be reading it thinking, well, here's a girl who's going to have, I mean, if you were reading this for the first time, you'd be sitting there going, well, I mean, here's a girl who has, an, here, here's a girl who has dragons. I mean, she might be helpful in fighting an army of like ice soldiers. Right. Yeah. But I mean, as far as Danny's concerned, there's, there's no reason for her to have a connection to an army of ice. She has absolutely zero indication of the threat that's coming. And also, yeah. I think the threat is completely unaware that she's coming, which is kind of neat. I think she will be a lot more receptive to the idea of this existential threat than someone like a Cersei or even a Fagon, because she is someone mm -hmm. who has experienced supernatural things throughout the story. I mean, she's really the root of a lot of the supernatural causes in the story. Therefore, I think whenever this apocalyptic threat comes down and people are not believing it, she will. Yeah. And this could actually be a one of, you know, there's a lot of ways you can go with the idea of young Griff, uh, you know, Fagon, if you want, and Danny and how their meeting unfolds. If young Griff takes the capital because Cersei leaves and then the White Walkers come, people yeah. will be saying, well, he's a Targaryen like he, you know, who's how is he going to save us? And he can't do it because he doesn't have any way to combat, you know, combat them. And here comes Daenerys. Now, yeah. whether Daenerys is there first or not you know Daenerys would be saying I should be the one who should have the throne and everyone's saying no I can't do it because you're not oh this is a whole you. yeah this is a you're whole a problem. woman you're a woman and then and then they come and then she's the one to take them out then that's like truly having black fire literally yeah, I mean you literally have black fire you have black fire you know she like would be able to fire. demonstrate her power right and her yeah kind. so so there's a, I mean, that's the, that's, you know, that's the interesting thing is there's always a ton of ways to go. And that's what's got to be so hard about many. this to decide because there's all good that, I mean, the, the best thing about this story that George has done is pretty much all of the outcomes you could go with are great stories, except yeah. for the one story that the hbo writers happen to go with the, i mean i mean i mean yeah i mean it's like it's like out of all of the potential options that that george could go with in the books they happen to pick the one of thousands of potentially good ones that wasn't the case i think they just lack conviction for their choices uh for instance yeah. them saying that john was supposed to kill the night king but they they didn't want john to do everything and it was like right. well that's not a good reason dude like right. if the story has been set up to do one thing, it should do that thing. Most likely. Yeah. I think being unpredictable is a bit overvalued in today's uh, storytelling and with today's writers, even I read a ton of the fantasy genre and right. you know, I see it all the time doing unpredictable things for unpredictable sake is not the way to go. Predictable can actually be very effective and it can give you an opportunity if things are predictable to have someone look back at the line of how we got here and then add it up and feel rewarded for catching those details. And then you can spend time uh, kind of fleshing out the, the fallout of those things. So many TV shows. I actually think TV shows are the worst about it because they saw the success of Game of Thrones and they just short circuited and were like, why is it popular? Sex, violence, twist. Got it. Everything's got to have sex, violence, and twist now. And it's it's just silly. Uh, to be honest with you, a good show that I really like right now, I, I'm in season, I'm about to be in a season five of six is the Americans and the Americans was on during Game of Thrones. And you can tell the, what season the shift. the shift in that show's tone changed completely the year that Game of Thrones blew up season three. I'm talking when it blew up, right? The Americans all of a sudden had 
far more grotesque violence, way more twist into the season. And some of them are completely nonsense. I like this show a, a ton, but there's so much of it that is ridiculous. And it, it's because they didn't want to be predictable. And I just, I think that's what the writers did for Game of Thrones. I think that they just decided that they wanted to be unpredictable. So John didn't kill the night, all these other things. With George, he will take what is in front of him. And he does have a lot of paths that he can go. I do think all of them are compelling. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's going, that's what makes, you know, even small little passages like this in the books. So, so important i mean so we'll we'll close out here with another another question for you jimmy okay do you think the the structure of this little segment right here because first she's having her own dream then yeah. she sees quaith yeah then she you know torches everybody and Dracar says her favorite word is she being influenced by quaith is it just destiny like was <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> would she have been in would she have had the quaith dream regardless of the ice dream or is there like a i mean you know it purposefully that that happens because first she's given a dream about potentially torching this army of ice mm. that she doesn't know about but we as the reader know about and then she's told the prophecy by quaith yeah, is that, is that steering her in a different direction? Is that well, the glass candles are burning is is one of the things that's coming up, right? And then that makes you feel like there is someone aware that Danny is having these dreams, and there's someone manipulating them. And and who is Quaith, by the way? What in the world is going on with Quaith? And that's the biggest question mark of the scene, most likely. Uh I think dragon dreams. And the dragon dream she has, I'll call this a dragon dream because I feel like it's prophetic in some ways. And mm -hmm. she's probably misinterpreting because she doesn't have all the context of the White Walkers. I think that that is what leads to the Dracarys and then her feeling this this flame, you know, for no pun intended. I, I think that that is more likely. And I think Quaith is an external factor. I think Quaith is a different external I factor agree. with a different motivation that we're not that we're not aware of that ties back to the Citadel. I, I think Dragon Dreams have a, a pretty good history of sending Targaryens down paths uh, that can be explosive, can be self-destructing, can also be proactive uh, and, and not necessarily a bad thing. I think Jakaris is the result of the Dragon Dream. Yeah, I agree. To me, Quaith is should be held in the same regard as I actually would put her higher than Melisandre. I think like yeah. Blood Raven, Quaith same level yeah um and then i have melisandre a little bit lower than that because melisandre we see you doing we also see her mess up but as mm -hmm. like blood raven and quaith it's we still don't know the whole picture but it seems like they have visions of a much larger plan they're interacting on a different level too i mean quaith is almost mystical in the way that she contacts blood raven is doing the rearward network and and dreams and all these things remember, the first, remember the first time we meet first time we meet quaith she's also in proximity with those warlocks too so yeah i think that they are are legitimately magical whereas melisandre is a uh microphone like this right and she might be hearing some of the messaging through her headset wrong i think she's one step removed from the supernatural whereas quaith mm -hmm. and blood raven are a part of the supernatural blood raven may have been melisandre level at first yes 
Very likely. And, I mean, and Brand, he, might, he, he might not, Bloodraven might not even be Bloodraven anymore. That's another thing that's still so <laughs> up in the air that we'll have to get more on. I mean, Brand is a, this, right? Brand is becoming this. He's becoming intertwined, one with the supernatural elements of this world. So he will also be a step above Melisandre, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Hey, good, good chapter. Again, I mean, if you want the, the short version, of it, you should watch the scene because it's, oh. it's so good. I mean, it's to me, it's to me, it's top. It's I have it in my top three. I would for me, my, my three, what I consider to be the three best scenes in Game of Thrones, as well as I would say probably my three favorite are um, to me, Jon Snow, King of the North is my number one. The whole scene, Tower Joy, King of the North. Gas. it's 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 so, so freaking good um and then this might actually be number two and then i would say Tyrion's trial is number three i trial, i'm not gonna trial top trial trial by combat but i i mean those three to me are the are the like if i think you would pick like some of the most iconic moments in game of thrones and like if you just want to say like best i think hmm. those are I mean, they're certainly all up for discussion. I mean, one of the ones that pops into my mind that might surprise people is Brienne being knighted in Jenny's song. Oh, I'm so good. I yeah. mean, that's a that's a I actually I actually really like the uh I mean, I think the Night King scene is like the end scene with Theon and like Arya going to stab him and John, like the music that's playing and everything. I mean, it's like it's if that was the final scene of Game of Thrones, people would be like, This is gas. Like, yeah yeah but it's yeah. not it's the problem it, it still always comes back to the problem is that they it should, if it was flipped if that was if that was the final thing i think people would have been fine with Arya killing him yeah they could uh, end it the scene because the scene is amazing <laughs> i mean if you just watch watch the scene for what it is i mean it's amazing yeah maybe uh you know i i like the first three episodes of the final season quite a bit i, I there, agree there, yeah. a couple things that i have problems with like i actually like the Arya scene as well i know a lot of people like didn't like it or whatever um i think the reasoning for it being Arya was very poor and didn't really tie yeah. into the rest yeah, of the story. Yeah. However, imagine if all six episodes would have been the long night, you know, you get one, two build up and then it's like, you know, three, four, five are all battle, like a trilogy. And mm -hmm. then the final episode is the fallout. That yeah. would have been much better. Well, you know, but we're playing retcon here and exactly. Hey, but we might be animated. The future. It's going to Oh, they definitely will. And hey, he may finish it. And who knows? Even if even if the event George doesn't finish it, at some point, like you know, Warner owns Warner basically owns like they can do whatever they want with it. Um, yeah. I mean, well, there's nothing to say that in 20, 30 years, once George is definitely gone, that uh they just well, we're gonna redo it and do whatever we want with it. I mean, they're I mean making, very much seems like a new Lord of the Rings movie, movie, you know, they redo Batman and all that stuff all the time. And hey, you know what? Hey, you know, you wanna know what, Jimmy? In what? uh, when we're in our 90s, okay, thanks to uh, you're making it that far, thanks to modern uh, modern medicine and all that stuff, AI, you know, they can put our heads, you know. So, <laughs> if we just keep if we just keep saving our crypto by the time, <laughs> what by the, by the by the time, uh, let's see here, about 20, I don't know, or whatever, 2112 <laughs> rolls around. Game of Thrones will be public domain and we can do whatever we want with it. Hey, if, if <laughs> we'll I make, we'll point, make, we'll make our own. If I can upload my consciousness to a AI produced like world that's Westeros and that's how I live my afterlife. I'm in. I'm so yep. in. Dude. 
So <laughs> two, that, oh. 2000, Jimmy and I will be in our hundreds, but uh, it'll be public domain and we can do whatever we want. So That's right. I'll have a robotic heart and I'll I'm be. I'm going to start working on my fan fiction next year. I've decided it won't be fan fiction. It'll be real. It'll be the real deal. Cause well, George is going to sign domain. me on after he I'm sees thinking about that. making Mickey mouse, our new logo. He just became public domain. So, <laughs> you know, just to get, just to twist the knife at Disney a little bit. Exactly. 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 Like well, yeah, exactly. So, all right, guys. Well, Hey, with, with that, um, that is our show for this week. Remember, if you guys want to send us a Raven uh, next week, we will be talking about Sansa three. So if you guys want to send us a Raven and have your thoughts on that chapter, we can read some more in the show and get your guys thoughts on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave us a comment, send us a Raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendthenepodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming. <laughs>